to St. John's Sermons, a podcast from St. John's Lutheran Church, North Prairie, Wisconsin, a congregation of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. We offer this podcast with the loving encouragement to use it as a supplement to your own regular reception of the Lord's gifts of forgiveness and life in word and sacrament on the Lord's day. The Lord bless your hearing of these sermons. gets its meaning 
from what happened on Good Friday, and indeed gets, uh, I would say, its power from what happened on Easter Sunday. See, what happened at Cana and Galilee is very instructive for you and for me. Jesus didn't go to Cana expecting to be the host of the feast. But before the end of the text, that's pretty much what he's proven to be. We learn two things about Jesus in that text. Both of them are actually kind of fun. And it seems a little strange to think about fun things before Good Friday. You know, the Lutherans are good at you know, repentance and being dour. <laughs> We're known for that. But let's have a little fun with this, shall we? Let's have a little joy with this. One of the first things we learn about Jesus at Cana, in that mirror, when the banquet master drinks the wine and says, Whoa! Normally you come to one of these and they serve the good wine first and then they bring out the Mogan David later or the Night Dog 2020 or whatever they call it. <laughs> Not into that stuff, so anyway. But this stuff is so good it makes me think the Mogan David came out first. Point number one. Jesus knows good wine. And that, my friends, is theological. Pastor's not just putting that forward to have a little laugh. When Jesus takes over a banquet, you can count on the good stuff. Nothing but the best will do for his people. He so thoroughly flummoxes the master of the banquet that the master of the banquet starts to think that the wine they started with must have been the cheap stuff. Which is to say, when Jesus makes wine, it's better than the best stuff you and I know. And at Cana, Jesus establishes this pattern that uh, uh, really, before we consider what the pattern really looks like, we ought to consider the second thing we learn about Jesus from the wedding at Cana. You need, you need to understand, when Jesus finally does the miracle, this party is kind of winding down, you know, they're running out of wine. So they break out the cheap stuff, which keeps the hardcore partiers still in the house, but the rest probably don't want to touch it because it's going to make them sick. But then the new wine comes and it's the best wine of the night. Lesson number two we learned about Jesus. The party must go on. Well, what do we learn about ourselves in that? If we drain, like I talked about before, if we drain all the I mean wine out of the way we talk about faith and all we're left with is the love and grace of Jesus. What do we learn from this? What we learn is that Jesus just simply wants you to have the best wine and a party that doesn't know when to quit. And you get just a little foretaste of that this evening here in the Lord's Supper and the remembrance, the annual remembrance of the establishment of that. But let's, let's, just, let's see the pattern now because that pattern defines Jesus. Especially in the other Gospel of Luke, it really defines him. But you see it in, in all the Gospels, Jesus now has, he's, he's established this thing where when he goes to like a wedding party or whatever, you don't even know who the host is anymore. 
You thought the host was the bride's parents. Boy, if you were the parents of the bride at Cana, you'd be happy this guy showed up. <laughs> he just saved you a lot of money. When he takes over, he establishes a pattern that will carry on throughout his career. And Luke, he's always going to people's houses. And just when you think they're about to sit down and break bread and you expect the master of the house or the head of the house to break the bread, what happens? Jesus does it. Jesus takes it over, becomes his banquet. He's the host in a strange house that, that he's probably never been in before. He becomes the host and he does it all. The party must go on and you're going to get the best stuff at his party. This even happens on Easter Sunday night, does it not? It happens with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, who don't even know who they're dealing with, until they get to one of the disciples' houses, and when it's time to eat, Jesus grabs the bread before the master of the house can, and gives thanks and breaks it. And all of a sudden the disciples say, You're Jesus, you're, you're risen from the dead. Some people think that it was the last, the Lord's Supper that was happening there. Whether it was or not, actually, I would argue, the point remains the same. Jesus did something that was very familiar to them. He took over a meal. And he made it his. And the party must go on. When we fast forward this to the upper room, there's, there's some interesting parallels, and there's some interesting differences, but the upper room does a nice job of kind of helping us understand what is our place in this. If we drain all the I, me, mine out of that discussion of faith and just have the love and grace of God left, what do things look like up in the upper room? Pick up your Bibles, go to John 13, verse 1, and read all the way through chapter 17 until the passion begins. And ask yourself one question. What are the disciples doing? From John 13, 1 to the end of John 17. I'll give you a very quick answer. Nothing. All they're doing is eating, drinking, a little gossip. And that's it. Is that their sin? That they're just too lazy to, to do anything? No. Because at the one place where a disciple does offer to help out, which is when Peter, um, you know, kind of wants to get in on the act of the washing. He, he actually wants to deny Jesus the washing of the feet. He kind of suggested, I should be washing your feet, now you washing mine. Jesus refuses it. The disciples are doing nothing because Jesus doesn't expect them to. This is his party. He's throwing it. He's throwing it for them. And it's just their job to take it in. It's just their job to enjoy it. It's just their job to eat, to drink, to hear, to receive, to be on the receiving end of everything that Jesus is doing for them. Now, fast forward. Past Good Friday. Past Easter Sunday. Past the resurrection on the last day. Imagine yourself at the banquet feast in heaven. And at the end of the table, there's Jesus. And on that table is the best stuff of all. And the seat opposite corner of him, right next to him, is empty. 
but it has your name on it. And you get to sit in that seat where just the corner of the table separates you from the Lord who gave an arm and a leg for this feast for you. Imagine. This is what we learn in the upper room. We learn that our salvation had nothing to do with us. And that Jesus really didn't put that on us. That Jesus would just as soon do this himself because he knows you and I can't do it. He takes care of it. He pays the ultimate price. The feast cost him an arm and a leg. It cost him his holy precious blood and his innocent suffering and death. The holy precious blood and innocent suffering and death of the one and only spotless Lamb of God. He didn't put you on that cross. But he'd gladly have you sit in that empty chair at his eternal banquet feast. If you want to know more about that feast, go look at Isaiah 25, 6-9. The finest of meats and the choicest of wines. And that's what he has for you. You know, those disciples that night... They didn't do anything. They probably didn't fully comprehend what was going on. They didn't fully understand it. But that didn't matter. Jesus was there. He was throwing the party. And it was for them. Tonight, you come into this this church. And when you confessed your sins before, you were kind of saying the same thing I just said to the disciples. That you maybe don't fully understand this. You don't fully appreciate this. That sin has its way with you and gets you trying to think that that God's on the receiving end of what you do rather than the other way around. That confusion is there, and yet, look, there it is, the gift for sinners like you and for me and me. And when we stand before our Lord in eternity or maybe sit across that corner of that banquet table with Him, (laughs) I would think maybe by then we'll understand understand why we're there. We'll understand that it had nothing to do with us but everything to do with the Lord who loved us. A Lord who once, he, once we realized that it had nothing to do with us was all about love and grace. And all faith does is take that in. All faith does is receive that. All faith does is eat. All faith does is drink. All faith does is hear. And in so doing it grows by the grace and love of God. What do you have when you take all that I mean my stuff out of talk about faith? You have the love of God and the grace of God in Christ Jesus. What do you have when you put it all back in? You have a God who's less than loving. You have a God who's less than gracious. And you just robbed him of everything he wants to give to you. Faith always says, To you alone, O Lord, be all glory, honor, and praise. Because you did it, but I cannot do So, He knows good wine. A 
wine that is his blood for the forgiveness of your sins is the most precious wine of all. And the party must go on. And you get a little glimpse of it tonight. Just a little glimpse of it. But let that stay you until the next time you see a glimpse of it. And let those glimpses continue to add up until that day that you do sit. Right across the corner of the table from him. In a banquet that never ends. He's throwing it. It's for you. And that's the way it always is. When Jesus is in the room. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This podcast is a service of St. John's Lutheran Church in North Prairie, Wisconsin. For more information, including locations, service times, and links to other Lutheran agencies, please visit our website at www.stjohnsnp.org. That's www.stjohnsnp.org. Theme music performed by Mr. Philip Magnus.